Welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness in the context of conversations around race and racism, and as the structure pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of whiteness at our current juncture. What does whiteness mean and does it matter? Every episode, I'm joined by a guest who offers unique insights into these questions and many more. Today, I'm joined by Wilberforce Professor of Slavery and Emancipation at the University of Hull and Director of the Wilberforce Institute, Professor Trevor Bernard. Professor Bernard is the author of several books, including Only Connect, a field report on early American history, Jamaica in the Age of Revolution and the Atlantic World, 1492 to 1830. He recently curated a special forum in the journal Slavery and Abolition on Black Lives Matter and Slavery. And he is a member of the senior management board of the Modern Slavery Policy and Evidence Center. Professor Bernard, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, so first off, I wanted to ask you, I came across your work uh, and yourself through an article in The Guardian quite recently, which was titled, As a history historian of slavery, I know just how much the royal family has to answer for in Jamaica. And for those who haven't been following this story closely, the context is that uh, William and Kate, so for our non-British people, that's our our young gen of the royals, the, 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 those who will soon be coming to power, well, soonish, depending on how things go, um, were met by protests calling for reparations from the British monarchy during uh, a visit to Jamaica. Jamaica, it should be noted, has begun the process of removing the Queen um, as the head of state. Um, and just today, uh, the Grenada leg of a royal tour of the Caribbean has been called off at the last minute, as the family were told uh, by Antigua and Barbuda that they should also avoid phony sanctimony over slavery. So um, we'll get into that second part in a second. But I just wanted to ask you, um, so how much does the royal family have to answer for in Jamaica? Well, I think in, I, I think it has to answer for quite a lot. And I, I, I do think that uh, I, I preface it by saying that um, it, it's something that as a country as a whole, we should we should recognize uh, the very total, almost total support of slavery during up, up from the 17th up until the middle of the 18th century. But the royal family were, were, were instrumental. Um, if they were not just representatives of the country, they were they were instrumental themselves as a family uh, in uh in, in, in instituting the, the, the slave trade, in supporting the slave trade, uh, and in being in the main against its abolition. Um, so I, I feel that when 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 the royal family and, and we saw this with uh, the comments of the Duke of Cambridge, which I think were welcome comments in Jamaica, saying uh, that uh, say abhorring uh, the, the, abhorring slavery. But when when you hear comments saying that you know it, it's something which shouldn't have happened, it also should be something which is recognized it shouldn't have happened but it did happen and the royal family itself uh, had quite a lot of responsibility uh, for instituting uh, instituting the the, um, the slave trade and slavery uh, in places like Jamaica where it's an essential part of its history. Can you give us a sense of how exactly they were essential in instituting that slavery because I think my sense is generally that 
the narrative around slavery is that it was, you know, commercial bodies that were involved in this, you know, the royal family. I don't have not seen any evidence of them sort of taking any uh, personal or institutional accountability for that. So what exactly was their role? Well, I mean, the, the, the royal family was... A, was, was instrumental in, in uh, all aspects of slavery, from helping to commission the first slave trade, uh, slavers going to the Caribbean, John Hawkins under Queen Elizabeth in the, uh, in, in the 16th century, but in particularly from, 16, from the 1660s onwards, really from 1672, uh, with the incorporation of the Royal African Company under Charles II, which was then headed by James II, uh, then on. We might note that Edward Colston, whose statue was torn down in Bristol, was a deputy governor of the Royal African Company. The governor was James II, uh, not one of the most successful uh, monarchs, of course, in British history, uh, but it's a British, British monarch nevertheless. It, it was unlike the East India Company, which is just called the East India Company with not, no for, for prefix to it, the African Company, mainly designed to bring African enslaved people to the Caribbean and to North America, was prefaced by the Royal African Company. Uh, and, and throughout the 18th century, the royal family, not only after you, even after the... Uh, company went away uh, or, or declined, royal, the royal family continued to be very instrumentally involved in, in slavery, insofar as a good deal of the income of a country, customs in particular on, on products like sugar uh, were, were given to the, were sent to the royal, to, to the royal crown. Um, the royal family therefore was, was, was important not only in the uh, 17th century, but through to the 18th century, uh, George I and particularly George II were heavily involved in the Royal African Company in trade to Africa in support of slavery. George III, although he did show some signs of abolitionism when he was a young man, when he became king, uh, was also involved in in supporting the slave trade and supporting abolition because it gave a great deal of money to the country and to the royal family in particular. And so... I mean, the sense is it's it, from outside of Jamaica, obviously, and I'm sure it's very different on the ground. You know, the press here has been very much intent on showing pictures of, you know, Will and Kate sort of being embraced by, you know, the locals, uh, apart from, you know, a few a few uh, protests is, is sort of the version that we're getting. Is, is your sense um, that actually that's probably not a very accurate depiction of people's feelings towards the royal visit? Well, there always is a groundswell of uh, a long a groundswell of, of support for the royal family as individuals, uh, a liking for them, um, a, a, a great deal of connections, very fond connections between the Caribbean and Britain. But it certainly isn't the what is is uh, it, certainly the images of of. of happy waving people uh, who have support the royal family in all sorts of ways isn't really a true indication of what what is happening in the caribbean uh, uh, people in the caribbean will know more about this than i do being resident in britain but it is very telling uh, that the prime minister of jamaica someone from a more conservative rather than a more more more, more left-wing perspective um took took it upon himself to uh, to tell 
uh, the Duke of Cambridge, uh, that he was that that that, that Jamaica was on its way to ultimately become a republic. It's an issue of great sensitivity um, in the Caribbean, um, and certainly one of my feelings with the world tour is that they could have been a lot more sensitive uh, to the issue of of. Uh, of the historical links that the royal family and this country have with slavery, um, knowing what, what there has been in the past. In 2007, David Cameron went to Jamaica and caused quite a lot of uh, concern and, and outrage, I think, among quite a number of people in the country, not just, not just, not just uh, um, the usual suspects and not just uh, members of the of the governing elite, but the ordinary person on the street as well, where he was seen by people to be rather dismissive of any sort of ideas that Britain has a responsibility to this country. And we should need, we should remember that that uh, the, the, the scandal of Windrush, where people coming to this country, believing that they were British, uh, then being deported back to Jamaica or uh, not being treated properly with here in the last few years, uh, has really antagonised an awful lot of people in the Caribbean, particularly in places like Jamaica. Uh, so there, there are a number of issues, which means that it's not just a uh, it's not just a it's not just a small number of people in the Caribbean uh, who feel that the visits of the royal family uh, need to be accompanied by a recognition of of, of things that are done in the past. Uh, but it's something which is shared in Jamaica, at least, by the leaders of both political parties, by the prime minister, uh, by by a, an awful lot of people in in, in general. Um, and I think that one of the things we could say about the royal visit is that at the very at the very least, we could say they were tone deaf uh, to some of the uh, agitation and concerns that people increasingly have in the Caribbean uh, about issues to do with their past and issues to do with slavery in particular. Um, it's interesting to to sort of delve into that that idea of them being tone deaf and whether you have a sense yourself of whether that is down to uh, you know uh, self delusion, whether it's down to um, you know a, a clear political refusal to recognise the harm that's been done because that may entail um, you know political consequences, not to mention reparations. Um, what's your personal view on that? Well, my personal view is is that yes, I my personal view is I think that there is a good deal of uh, um, there is a, a, a good deal of concern among uh, people in governing areas here, both in, in in the government we saw this with David Cameron in twenty oh seven, also the royal family now uh, is that any sort of recognition of the historical harm that that slavery did to places in the Caribbean will need to be accompanied by financial restitution. Um, I don't know whether that's actually the case or not. I mean, I do think that there's a that there's the, the argument on reparations, which is very big in the Caribbean, has no uh, counterpart here. The the, the 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 sides are very different uh, in this way. Um, but one of the things I, I I guess I would say is that certainly in this particular case. Um, the royal family should have known what was going to, to, to happen. Uh, it should have known uh, that there was going to be uh, the prime minister of, of Jamaica was going to talk about republicanism. That had already happened in Barbados. It, it's, it's, it's something which is on the agenda. They should have known that there were concerns about these sort of things and done things to address them. Um, 
And it's been done in the past. When the Queen went to uh, Jamaica in 2002, uh, and we saw this in, in, in the press, photos of, of uh, the, the Queen, she not only uh, drove in the Land Rover, which caused such, uh, has caused such, such consternation among some people here, but she when she went to Sam Sharp Square in Montego Bay, Sam Sharp was a, a leader of a, of a slave enslaved rebellion, was hanged for it, and is, is a national hero of Jamaica. The Queen recognize that in that particular in that particular occasion and it's quite remarkable to me that this time around uh, the royal family are not doing those sorts of things uh, if the royal, if, if, if when members of a royal family go to other parts of the world they recognize historical harm uh, if they go to places where there was a holocaust they would do something about that if they go to places in, in france and germany they recognize uh, returned servicemen uh, who gave their life for britain there and so on and so on um it's quite extraordinary to me that they didn't it didn't, it didn't cross anybody's mind that these sorts of things were necessary in the Caribbean uh, as well. Uh, so, so my personal view is that at the very least, there should have been more sensitivity. Where there should, whether there should be reparations, well, uh, that, that seems to be uh, a, a difficult argument um, and, and, and people have very different views in Britain than they do in the Caribbean. Uh, but at the very least, I think people in Britain, uh, and we're, we're increasingly do, doing this, that we should recognize that for a very long period, uh, most of the 17th and the 18th century, uh, people in Britain profited from the slave trade and slavery, supported slavery and the slave trade, and did so, uh, did so as a nation. Uh, I repeat, one of the things to repeat is that it was the Royal African Company. It's like the Royal Post Office or the Royal Navy. In other words, something that uh, is, is, is supported by the nation as a whole. Uh, and that was the largest ever uh, slave trader in, in, the, in the Atlantic world in the 17th and 18th century. Um, so there's a lot more that could have been done to, in, in terms of recognising the past. Uh, and I think the royal family, do, royal family does this quite, quite well in many cases when they go to other sorts of other places, other places in the Commonwealth and other parts, uh, other parts of the world. Uh, and they really should have done in the Caribbean as well. Um, it's interesting uh, when you read the uh, letter that was written by the Antigua and Barbuda Reparation Support Commission criticising the royal family for past comments on slavery, um, that there is a tone of, um, you know, pe people have had enough of, of, the, the, of the lament, you know, uh, the idea that, oh, this was an appalling atrocity, it should not have happened. You know, the letter says, we hear the phony sanctimony of those who come before you, that these crimes are a stain on your history. For us, the letter reads, they are the source of genocide and of continuing deep international injury, injustice and racism. We hope you will respect us by not repeating the mantra. And it reads, we are not simpletons. So there's a sense here that there's a, a patronizing element to the engagement that the royal family have had um, in the Caribbean on this particular visit. Um, do you see any continuity in that with the past engagements of Britain? You know, the idea that we're now, uh, Britain's dealing with um, countries that are, of course, you know, officially independent countries, you know, Jamaica en route to become a republic. Um, but, but that actually there is maybe a still underlying power relationship that comes through in how the country, in how the royals, for example, approach topics that are so central to 
a, a major wound and, and an ongoing problem that, as the letter points out, you know, is an international one. I, I did. Well, I, I hadn't heard the letter before, and, and I'm sure that they speak for only a, a portion of people in Antigua. Uh, if, if that's from Antigua, I think that that, that letter comes from. But yeah. they, they do express... Um, a, a, an idea which has, has increasing amount of support in these places. Um, and, and I think that they are right to say that certainly when, uh, when, when people get up and say, well, it's all in the past, uh, we're now friends, uh, we need to just forget about what happened in the past, I can see why people would think that is, is patronising. I mean, as I mentioned, I think the Duke of Cambridge uh, in his speech to, uh, in a speech at a formal dinner in Jamaica, uh, said many ways that many of the right things uh, as did Prince Charles uh, on a visit to Barbados beforehand. And it, it is important that they acknowledge that slavery uh, was a bad thing, but they also do need, need to acknowledge uh, British and the royal family's direct involvement in those crimes. They're not just something which, which they're not just something which just happened. Uh, and that was certainly one of the things that, that the Duke of Cambridge did say, you know, it should not have happened. Well, that's, that, that, that is the sort of thing which does sound patronising in many ways. And I would say also that 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 uh, we have got worse on this. Um, I think that when when Britain was still had when, when Caribbean colonies were still part uh, formally attached to Britain, um, these sorts of things were more formally addressed. It's it's been very recently, uh, only very recently that that Britain has sort of said, well, you know, these things happened. It's a long time in the past. We should just forget about them. It's not something that Britain did in in uh, beforehand. And I think that it is interesting, isn't it, that that, that two thousand and two, the Queen went to a, 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 a place very important to Jamaicans uh, as, as, as a legacy of slavery. But in 2007, David Cameron did not. Uh, and in 2022, uh, the Duke and Touches of Cambridge did not go to those places at all. So mm -hmm. I think worse rather than better uh, in our dealings with, with the Caribbean. Um, and, 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 and some of the sentiments, I wouldn't agree with all the sentiments in that particular letter from and from the people in Antigua, and I'm sure many of the people in Antigua don't agree with it either. Uh, but some of the sentiments, I think, uh, and certainly the lack of ways, the lack of attention to dealing with the historical legacies of slavery, uh, I think are important. The other thing I would say as well is that it, it, it's something which is not just confined um, to Britain. I think also the people of the Caribbean um, have, need, need to need to recognize uh, need to recognize more than they do uh, their, the, the historical involvement of, of these these countries in slavery. Um, it has become something which I think until recently uh, has been a bit of an amnesia. Um, and I, I, it's it, it's interesting to me that the royal family's visit uh, by the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and the forthcoming one by the uh, Earl and Countess of Wessex. Um, have reignited or, or re-established uh, some of these things, which should have been things that people in the Caribbean have been thinking, of, should have been thinking about for a long time, just as we in Britain should be thinking about them as well. Yeah, I mean, one of the um, uh, comments that was in the uh, made by the um, Antigua and Barbuda Reparations Support Commission was that the cancellation of the Grenada leg of the tour was because of recent revelations that the Bank of England owned 599 slaves from Grenada in the late 18th century. And I was mm. reading that thinking, surely that can't be new news. Is it? 
It's, it's, it's relatively new news. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's, it's certainly not for people like myself who've known when you've been studying these things and writing about these things, uh, and many historians have written about them and known them for a long, long time. Um, but I think that uh, one of the things that historians have been doing, particularly uh, in some, some well-publicized projects which connect uh, individuals and institutions uh, with, with owning uh, owning slaves, with people, uh, with with the compensation that they got for, for enslaved people in the 1830s, um, that the, the the real links have become apparent. Um, until very recently, most many of the places, uh, many, many institutions in this country uh, refused to accept or just didn't didn't, didn't care about uh, their historical links to, to slavery. Uh, it's taken a long time for the Bank of England to recognise, for example, just. Uh, how deeply involved the Bank of England was uh, in in slavery. One, it's it's uh, it's one of its governors in the in the early 18th century, Sir Humphrey Morris, uh, was probably the biggest slave trader uh, in the British Empire. He was also embezzled a lot of money from the Bank of England, so the Bank of England isn't 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 going to be very fond of him. But he was one of many directors and many institutions which were involved in it. And the Bank of England has said until recently has acknowledged these things, but saying well these that people did these as individuals. Uh, but it's, it's also clear that institutions themselves uh, were heavily involved uh, in, in, in slavery. Uh, and those, those particular links uh, are coming to the fore. So it isn't, it isn't new knowledge, but I think it's knowledge that both people in the Caribbean and people in Britain uh, have preferred to not think about um, very, very deeply. And when we say they haven't necessarily been thinking about it, is that, I mean, obviously these are, you know, deep wounds, but where they continue to have ongoing implications for the lives of people in both parts of the world, I guess, in different ways. Um, I, I wanted to ask you in terms of drawing the link between that past and the present, you curated that special forum uh, in the journal uh, Slavery and Abolition on Black Lives Matter and Slavery. Is there a connection increasingly being made that justifies looking at what might go beyond a recognition of those wrongs because I know that a lot of people will say okay you know the Bank of England recognizes this happened the royal family recognizes this happened you know British people even individual families will increasingly know that some of their some of these families will have owned and benefited from the slave slave trade. What next? Well, I mean, there's a whole a whole lot of things, I guess, and people have different views on it. My own personal view uh, is that it's it's not very useful doing naming and shaming. Um, that doesn't help. It. It doesn't help very much at all. But I do think that for a nation, uh, and I'd say there's several nations here, it's not just Britain, it's also Caribbean nations, uh, is that any type of recognition of the more difficult parts of your history uh, can be very useful in terms of healing in terms of helping people to understand where they come from and what they do. I think certainly it, it, it's, 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 it's very clear, I think, and if you go to the Caribbean, you, you, you can even just feel it really, uh, is that slavery had deep and lasting scars, not just uh, economically, but psychologically. Uh, it takes a, lot, a long time to get over having been enslaved and what the process of enslavement might be. Uh, and that's something for people who used to be slaves, but also people who have held people in, in slavery uh, sh should should think of and consider. I mean, I guess my 
my feeling is that uh, it's we are increasingly uh, as a nation here and nations around the world uh, saying saying that slavery was very important in the making of a modern world uh, that that the profits from slavery uh, led to all sorts of things uh, and that there is a long-lasting trauma that is associated with slavery, particularly the transatlantic slavery. Uh, and that's something that I think we should face up to. And if you think of other places have had to deal with these sorts of things as well. We think, for example, in South Africa, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission dealing with apartheid. If you think in Germany and how, the, how people in Germany uh, have dealt pretty successfully, in my view, uh, with many of the horrors of the Nazi regime. And you can think of other places as, as well. Uh, and I think that one of the things that is very important, is particularly important nowadays when we've got the horror of Ukraine uh, going on, uh, a horror which seems to have been, at least in the words of, uh, in, in, in the speeches of Vladimir Putin, seems to be in, a, about a particular version of history, at least in Putin's view. Uh, history really matters, not only in the past, but it matters in the present for helping us to understand where we are, where we're coming from, uh, and, and the things that are about about us. Um, so I think that one of the things that I would really urge, I think, is that uh, it's a good thing in and of itself to be honest about these sorts of things. And I think that's one of the things which may come out of that Antigua letter uh, and may come out of what, what, what people felt in Jamaica, is that they feel that Britain has not been honest with itself uh, about its role uh, in creating slavery, in in, in, in creating conditions of poverty uh, within the Caribbean uh, and not really facing up to its responsibilities in all sorts of ways. Um, and and I, I guess I might, I might say I would say that as, as an historian, uh, but I think that it's, it's just too glib and too easy to say, well, this happened in the past, it's gone away, uh, we're not responsible for it, um, there's nothing which we need, really need to do. Uh, I, I think that it really helps a society to think about uh, what sorts of things have happened in the past, not only the things that are good, but the things that are bad as well. So does the UK need its own Truth and Reconciliation Committee? Um, some people would argue that we may not, you know, be able to move on without one, um, particularly as people become increasingly conscious of that history um, without one, could we not just end up conscious of different versions of history and more binary as a society? Well, that's an interesting, interesting suggestion. I've never really heard that before. I'm not, I'm not quite sure that a Truth and Reconciliation Commission for something which happened two or 300 years ago would, would help. But I do think that uh, a greater recognition uh, of the good and bad of imperialism, I think, would be very useful. Uh, I think something, uh, something which, things which it would be very useful to say, well, yeah, that that uh, uh, many of the things that we appreciate most uh, came from slavery. Our love of sugar, for example, is something which is in inherently tied up with slavery, uh, and that uh, these things, uh, these things are important. I think it would help us to to to, to reflect on. Uh, the multicultural nature of our society, the fact that Britain is, has had black people here for, for centuries and, and, and a lot of people here uh, in the 17th and especially in the 18th century, uh, that the Caribbean used to be a very important part of British, British, uh, British society, British history, 
uh, and that uh, it, it still needs to be thought of in, in that sort of way. Um, so I'm not quite sure if a truth and reconciliation commission would be, would be useful, but I certainly think that greater knowledge of what happened in the 17th and 18th century and how closely uh, the plantation colonies of the West Indies uh, and slavery as a way of linking Africa, Europe and the Americas together uh, knowing more about those sorts of things, I think, would help us as a society understand where we came from, where we're going, uh, and perhaps help us in, in, in thinking about how we might deal with some urgent social problems today. And, and what about this question of reparations? Because I know, um, you know, obviously a Truth and Reconciliation Committee, would that, that would definitely be something that would be on, uh, you know, the agenda were one to be put in place. Uh, and I know there's a lot of divided views on, on the issue of reparations, but given that some of the largest companies, institutions in the UK, which have accumulated significant wealth, um, have accumulated that wealth off the back of other people's pain and lives, is there any real justification for not considering a form of reparations to you know you can never repay you know it's a little bit like you know when there's there's been a crime and the criminal you know pay, pays a, a fine you know you, you're not going to undo the harm that you've done by by paying a fine or, or by apologizing but 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 it can be an important part of the recognition of the harm that's been done um, and an attempt to rebalance the imbalance that was created surely yeah, well, I, I guess I, my views on reparations, I, I differ from many of my colleagues and many of the people who study the same things uh, as, as I do. I mean, I just think politically there's not much of a possibility of reparations occurring. I mean, the, the arguments that I had, had in the Caribbean seem to be very much uh, focused around things that are Caribbean. In other words, it seems to be a political discourse, which means people for Caribbean, means these things for people in the Caribbean, and it has a Caribbean resonance. It doesn't seem to be a, a, a discourse, discourse about about, uh, that has any chance of realization, particularly because people throw around sums for reparations, uh, which are just not going to happen. I mean, you know, trillion dollar, trillion pounds, or many billions of pounds, and you can make arguments that they, they, these these are justifiable, but politically, it's just not possible. And certainly, the arguments, the, the appetite for any any reparations in Britain, I think, is close to minimal uh, among the population as a whole. It'd be every time you see reparations mentioned in the press, it's it, the, the, the Comments on it are extremely hostile, so I don't think there's any any likelihood in those those sorts of ways. But I think that it, it is something that Britain should recognise. Whether it's, and of course, Britain has paid reparations. I mean, people tend to forget that um, it, they they gave compensation to the people who owned enslaved people for the enslaved people they owned. So uh, Britain has already paid reparations. Um, I think you would argue the slave owners <laughs> paid, the, paid reparations paid to the wrong people. That didn't didn't pay didn't go to uh, enslaved people or the descendants and slaves, um, and. There may be a case, I think, for uh, if you if you can prove that you're a, a a descendant of people who owned enslaved people, and that money is still has helped that other other institution to uh, an institution or a firm to to do well. There may there may be some cases for, for cases to say, well, a harm has been done, and some some money might want to be put to you, given to you. Um, 
I, I, my feeling is that, that, that reparations tends to, the problem with reparations is it brings money into it. And once you bring money into it, the conversation all changes uh, and it becomes much a much harder conversation and a much, and a much more difficult conversation and, and, sides, and both sides harden very quickly. Um, I would prefer to see it as, it, you mentioned a truth and reconcil reconciliation, I'd prefer to see... Uh, prefer to see things which which suggest uh, that, that that Britain owes some responsibility to the Caribbean, not necessarily financial, but certainly moral, uh, certainly uh, legal, etc. One of the things I think particularly annoyed people in the Caribbean when David Cameron went there uh, in 2007 uh, was that what he suggested Britain should be giving to Jamaica was a prison uh, whereby uh, Jamaicans, Jamaican criminals in Britain could be deported and put into, into that prison. Well, that was another sign of, I guess, being very tone deaf. Uh, there are many other ways in which Britain can help uh, the Caribbean, which has always been part of British history from the uh, 1620s onwards, uh, that they can, it can help that this very important part of, of the world uh, to, in, in ways that can, make, that, that can, that, that can improve it. Um, but I would say in terms of reparations, it is, it is very interesting to see that you often hear in Britain that you know, we, just, we couldn't afford these sorts of things. Um, but we can afford some things when we put our mind to it. Can't we, you know, the amount of money we spent on uh, various schemes in COVID shows that we can spend a lot of money on certain things. And I certainly think that many people will be looking at the money we're spending in Ukraine, quite rightfully, in my opinion, uh, to say, well, you know, we can immediately, immediately um, spend a lot of money uh, in that particular area. Uh, why is it so difficult for us to, to, to think about spending comparatively small amounts of money uh, on helping the Caribbean uh, develop uh, and to recognise that we have been to an to, to, that Britain has been to a significant extent uh, responsible for, or at least, or at least uh, complacent about uh, Caribbean underdevelopment. Um, th so those things, those things, those things, I think are important. Um, so, so that's where I would say on reparations. I, I don't think reparations is probably going to be a very useful thing, but recognition. Uh, of the historical legacies of slavery, I think is absolutely important, both for the Caribbean and for Britain. It's interesting because I would think, when I think of slavery, um, I would think that it's always been about economics. So um, it's really difficult for me to think of, uh, you know, any form of uh, attempt to uh, apologise or make good for the harm that was done without recognising that, it was an economic imperative uh, that led to slavery and it were economic gains that were made from slavery and it's economic wealth that was accrued from it today and still is. Um, uh, you know, if we look at the companies that are uh, uh, the leading companies in the UK, how many of them could we actually trace to having benefited from that? So it's it seems almost odd to me that the um, economic uh, question would sort of be automatically uh, taken off the table in that way. Um, uh, well, I agree with I agree with you. I mean, all you say is absolutely correct. Uh, it, it it just does seem to me that that, that, that politically uh, you're not going to get agreement between the Caribbean and Britain uh, if you go down the reparations route. That just seems at, at, at the moment a political uh, a political reality.
Mm, yeah so in terms of like how realistic that is in terms of making progress towards a particular uh, goal I mean I wanted to ask you why why do you sense that this is happening now in terms of the the response that the royals are getting on their visit um you know is this linked to uh, the black lives matter movement that we've seen in in recent past is it linked to you know other developments in in the region um what's your interpretation of why this is happening now well, I'm, I'm, I'm an historian rather than a political scientist or, or, or someone who knows about the, the, the present. Uh, so I, I, some, some of my views may not be entirely accurate. But I certainly think, and, and I can certainly say things about the history of it. I, I think that Black Lives Matters was an extraordinary movement. Um, it was something which surprised most of us who are, who are involved in history, have been saying these things for a long time, but it hasn't, but the things that have fallen are pretty much on fellow ground, or at least haven't been terribly recognized. Uh, I think that it is interesting that in a period, in a, in a, in a period uh, of, of great, of, of great problems, you know, the whole co- the whole pandemic, et cetera, but it's forced that, that that pandemic has been forcing us to think about all sorts of things. And one thing is that it's forcing us to think about the benefits and the demerits of globalization. Uh, it's forcing us to think about uh, the reality of culturalism is and what it might be. Uh, and for many, and that many people are, un, un, are unhappy with it. Uh, so it's, I guess that it's, it, it's brought to the surface long-standing sort of of issues uh, within various countries. Uh, And it's been a very interesting thing, hasn't it, how in different countries uh, um, the events with the death of George Floyd have been manifested in different ways. I mean, certainly it's very interesting in Britain that it led to a a, a local local sort of issue in Bristol um, about a a statue uh, becoming the most obvious thing, obvious ways in which the Black Lives Matter movement uh, was manifested. That's not how it operated within, say, Australia or within Europe or certainly within the United States. and it's one of one of the things I would say is that what the events of the last couple of years have, have shown is that history really matters, and people are very, I, I think, are increasingly aware that that that, that, that uh, we're connected to the past in much deeper ways uh, than might have seemed apparent uh, in the last twenty years when we had a whole whole host of movements you can think of of prime ministers in this country from tony blair from gordon brown the historian himself david cameron uh, through to through to theresa may and boris johnson uh, who who were often particularly blair was like this was to say we move on from the past as quickly as we can uh, and i think in all sorts of ways it's be it's very clear that uh, the past matters a lot more to people than 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 that we've been willing to recognize uh, and that's certainly one of the lessons I would say in the last couple of years uh, is that historical matters, and particularly historical matters with race, um, have have been have been very important. And we've had to sort of recognise uh, that we can't just say, "Oh, well, that was a long time ago; it's different now," uh, and and sweep it under the carpet. Uh, these things uh, have a long term legacy, and it's just why it's interesting that a lot of the uh, a lot of the things that, that happen talk about legacies. And I say also, I guess, in relationship to the royal family is that one of the things that uh, is important for the royal family is that their legitimacy, of course, is based on history, is based on the past, is based on their family uh, going back a long time ago. So for, for an institution uh, which 
but it has its legitimacy based on its historical, its, 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 its relationship to the history of its country. It's important for it, it in particular uh, to acknowledge its links to its own historical past, because that's where its authority derives from, ultimately. Do you see, um, you know, any uh, connection in terms of the sort of tone deafness you've referred to in this particular visit to, with, you know, the the sort of scandals around, you know, I'm going to call it Megan Gate for those of us who, who follow mm. the tabloid version uh, of these stories. But, you know, the, the first sort of, uh, well, not not actually the first, but the, the one of the most prominent recent uh, uh, new members of the royal family uh, being an, an African-American woman uh, who's, you know, spoken very publicly about uh, a very difficult um, entry uh, or welcome into the family. Um, it, is there a is there a wider problem, not just of history, but with race in the royal family? Well, that's a very complicated question, and I think the the, the relationship with race uh, and the royal family um, is, is is multifaceted, and certainly, uh, and certainly, its current manifestations. This is obviously an, an issue for it. I mean, the Duke of Cambridge last year, when asked, uh, when asked, said, "We're very much not a racist family." I think that certainly, if you think of uh, most members of a royal family, that's probably probably true. The Queen has been uh, remarkably uh, remarkably forward thinking on race during her long reign. Um, but they were they were a racist family in the past. Uh, the issues that they have to do, and 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 what what, I, what is very noticeable about the race about the royal family, I think, is that on the one hand, uh, the royal family, particularly the Duke of Cambridge, wants to uh, show how forward thinking, how modern, how racially aware they are. I mean, he he, for example, chided BAFTA as the president of BAFTA uh, for its lack of diversity, uh, and yet, on the other hand. Um, there, there, there are clear, there are clear signs, as in this trip to the Caribbean, uh, that what uh, the royal family, what the Duke of Cambridge has wanted, is, is preaching to the rest of us. It's not something that necessarily the royal family are doing themselves. I guess that they have the same issues with race that most families have. Uh, that we have a different attitude to race now than we did a generation or a couple of generations to go. And we only have to talk to our grandparents uh, or great-grandparents to know how different views might be. Um, so they, they, they're dealing with the same sorts of things that, that, that as a society we're dealing with. But I think the royal family in particular, that they could, uh, if, if they are going to make statements on, on, on the one hand, they should follow it up with behaviour on, the, uh, with, 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 with making sure that they themselves uh, follow the sorts of behaviour uh, that they urge on everybody else. I mean, the Duke of Cambridge has a, has a pretty distinguished history in terms of, uh, of, of racial attitudes, not just with BAFTA, also with the uh, with, with his role as the president of the Football Association, being very important in that way. And I think that's one reason why it was disappointing to me uh, that uh, the Duke of Cambridge, who's been so good in those sorts of areas in some ways, um, was, I think, ill-advised or didn't really think hard enough about what his trip to the Caribbean might mean in, in a place which has a good deal of racial sensitivities. 
Um, I wanted to ask you um, about the term whiteness. Obviously, this podcast is called We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Um, many people who come on here have uh, different views on what the term means to them, uh, whether it's a useful one. Uh, what does whiteness mean to you? Well, I think it's a, I think it's it's a it's a very strange thing because I mean, really, I mean, whiteness and blackness are um, cultural constructs rather than anything which is very real. But they're cultural constructs which mean a great deal. And and certainly, as someone who studied the Caribbean um, in the seventeenth and eighteenth century, particularly in the eighteenth century, uh, whiteness was absolutely crucial uh, for. Under, for for, for Caribbean, how Caribbean society developed uh, in the 18th century. It was crucial also um, for how uh, the Caribbean integrated itself uh, into, uh, into British, British society. And one of the things, one of the ironies I've always felt about uh, the history of the West Indies and the history of the Caribbean in relationship to Britain uh, is that many of the most highly developed forms of racism and the forms of racism which validated whiteness over anything else uh, came from West Indians, came from white West Indians in the 18th century. Um, so whiteness, I think, is, is something which is uh, absolutely vital for understanding uh, the historical development of Britain and its empire over the last couple of hundred years. And it's, but it's a very protean concept. Um, it's something which was which has changed dramatically and keeps on changing dramatically over time. So when you study whiteness, I think you have to study it in relationship to the uh, cultural and social and economic aspects of, a, of, of society at any particular given time. Uh, it was different in the 1640s than it was in the 1750s and different in the 1750s from the 1850s and different in the 1850s from the 1950s and certainly different from the 1950s from, from 2022. Uh, so what, what whiteness is a ever evolving concept. Um, and, 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 and I think we, we, it, it has to resist thinking of whiteness and blackness as sort of absolute sort of categories, even though it's very tempting to do so. Yeah, and that's that's a point that's definitely been uh, made on several occasions. I think um, the idea that these are static categories, uh, you know, can reinforce the binaries that the conversation around whiteness is intended to sort of pull apart in many ways. Um, I, 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 there is a tradition on this show uh, whereby we have a quick fire round at the end. Um, so these are quick questions where I'm uh, looking for uh, quick answers, if possible. Okay. Um, so my first question to you is, um, does Britain have a problem of whiteness? Uh, you, you, yes. <laughs> um, what is the root of racism? Uh, the root of racism is uh, cultural. Uh, is as our the root of racism is our uncomfortableness with other people. What is the opposite of whiteness? I don't know. Is there such a thing as a post-racial world in your view, and is that universalist ideal ever achievable or even desirable? Uh, no, I don't think it's achievable. It's probably not. It's probably not desirable either. Do you have a working definition of whiteness you can share? Uh, 
Well, that's a good, good, good question. I think uh, uh, the working definition of whiteness is a, a shared sense of commonality among people with certain uh, characteristics which they see as racial. Is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism? Uh, it's it's certainly a useful conceptual tool for historical discussions of anti-racism. Whether it's a useful tool for present-day anti-racism, I don't know. Thank you uh, so much, Professor Bernard, for uh, speaking with me today. Um, if people want to connect with uh, your work, your ideas, if they want to find out more about um, Britain's uh, links to slavery, the royal family's links to slavery, uh, where should they go? I think the easiest way would be to uh, look at the website for the Wilberforce Institute, and you'll find there, uh, you'll find uh, uh, you'll find there, and also on Twitter at the Wilberforce Institute, you'll find links to to me and my work uh, and to the work of my colleagues uh, here, both on historical slavery, but also uh, where we do important things on modern slavery as well, which is a whole different issue, uh, but a, a, grow, a great social problem in in this country and in this world. Fantastic. Well, that leaves me to thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Please do uh, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness. Thank you so much.